The Gospel of John, chapter 3. I'd like to introduce by just reading the first 11 verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Let's open a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look at this subject of being born again, we, we just pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning and give us insight into the truths of your word. And Lord, I pray too that you would give me clarity of thought and that the truth of your word would go forth and that, Lord, that my shortcomings would not interfere. And again, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. The born again. I, some of you might remember when uh, Jimmy Carter ran for president against Gerald Ford. Do you remember how the born again, every, he was claiming to be born again, so Jerry Ford claimed to be born again. Everybody was claiming to be born again back then. It was almost like a fad. There was born, born again bumper stickers, pins. I remember those days. It was, it was kind of crazy. I remember I was a brand new believer at the time, and it's just kind of like, you know, <laughs> uh, what is this? You know, it's, it's, it's insane. And, um, you know, and again, they're, they're, uh, matter of fact, it was funny because Protestants, Catholics, Mormons, everybody was claiming, oh, yeah, we're born again. We're born again. It's kind of like today. You know, it says, well, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. It kind of was like that. It, it, uh, it was so overused and misused, it, it, it really lost its, it, it lost its meaning. I looked on there, and it's, it's still misunderstood is what that is. Matter of fact, I went on the internet, and I'm only going to share one because there's some bizarre things. But most of them, we look there. I just typed in, "What does it mean to be born again?" And you get this whole laundry list of stuff. You know, you get the Billy Graham Association along with some other folks. Here's one that really caught my eye: <clears throat> the seven steps to be born again. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. Um, uh, <clears throat> if I get too far into this, they would have to come up and drag me out of here for heresy. <laughs> It says uh, seven steps. Number one step to being born again, according to these guys. Stop sinning. (laughs) Uh, 
Um, Good idea, wrong sequence. But anyway, get rid of pride and approach God on his terms. Well, if you stop sinning, wouldn't pride go with that? But that's just me. Fear God, keep reading the Bible, and praying, seeking God until he... And and I I love this one, and I'm going to stop with this one. Until he finds it convenient to give you a new heart. (laughs) Can you imagine that in in your prayer? Lord, uh, whenever you get the chance, uh, no. Oh, boy, I tell you, there's some amazing things out there. Um, they were being taught. Keep reading the Bible, good. Praying, seeking God, that's good. But he's number five, you are not done. Now you must walk after the Spirit of God. Okay, number six, God will do another miracle and put his Spirit in you. We're going to find out what that's about this morning. And number seven, you are not done to the day you die. Okay. So I guess being born again is a lifelong project, according to them. I think we're going to find out this morning that uh, what Jesus is going to tell us about being born again is considerably different than those seven so-called steps. Now, setting the context of Nicodemus, we actually have to back up a couple of verses into chapter 2. Look at verse, uh, in, cha- in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, when he, now, again, this comes on, if you follow the, the, you know, John chapter 1, that great introductory chapter to this marvelous gospel. After the introduction, we, we find that um, in chapter 2, it starts, remember, the wedding feast at Cana. And then the Lord comes into Jerusalem for the Passover, the first Passover of his ministry, and does a little house cleaning. And at the end of that, now in verse 23, he says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because, and because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, they made statements of and professions of faith, but Jesus wasn't accepting all of it. Because you know why? Because he knows what's in the heart. He knows, being omniscient God, he knows what's in the heart of men. Now with that thought in mind, John then delivers us now this story about his conversation with Nicodemus. Now let's look at Nicodemus. First of all, the signs. Let me just back up a little bit. The signs. Simeon. And that word throughout the scriptures refers to attesting miracles, demonstrating divine power. Okay? When you get into any good discussion of miracles, signs, and wonders, is going to come on this, and you're going to see that Jesus' gifts, many of the miraculous gifts, are often called sign gifts because that's exactly what they were. Um... And from the very beginning of his ministry, he did miracle after miracle after miracle. And his, uh, right, Matthew, Matthew 4, 23 through 25, uh, I'm just going to read it for the sake of, of time. Although it's only 934 up here. So, I, I, <laughs> Matthew 4, 23 to 25, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. I mean, from all of, in Palestine and all the surrounding area of Palestine, they heard of his fame. They, they, they sought after him. And as it says, many, verse 23 of chapter 2, many believed in his name. Now the name here is used as an expression of honor, yet it does not necessarily mean or, dis- or depict saving faith. All right? Uh, I went to 12 years of Catholic school. I honored the name of Jesus. All 12 years I was a heathen, and some years following. Okay? But that, that doesn't prove anything. It's like I said before, you have people that preach false doctrine that say, oh, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus. You know, and so it, this is the, the same thing with these folks here. Remember, all the, and we're going to see it along that many people, you know, they knew the Lord, they knew Jesus as a miracle worker, but not their Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Huge difference. Huge difference. A good example, we're in John, let's look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 26 to 31. And there's multiple examples. I'm just trying to stay close to home here. But this is a good one. John 6, 26 to 31. Now, the scene here is that we've, the historic setting here is he's just come off feeding the 5,000, walked on the water, and now here he is on the, the other side of the lake in And he responds to some people. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Remember, he's talking to people that were of that 5,000 that were fed. They witnessed a tremendous miracle. My goodness, this was an act of creation that they witnessed. Okay? But just read on. We read on here. We'll see what I mean. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. And they said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. They said therefore to him, and this this kills me, What then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? They just saw him take a couple of loaves and a couple of fish and feed 5,000 plus. That was 5,000 men. Figure women and kids. It could have been 20,000. They just witnessed that. And they, they're looking for a sign. That's unbelief, folks. That's unbelief. They, they were following Jesus, the miracle worker, and they gave him credit for that, but that's about it. And then verse 31, our fathers, they, they said, they threw this back. Well, you know, let's see a real work. I mean, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it was written, he gave to them bread out of heaven to eat. By the way, this statement, verse 31, 
gave Jesus the, from this, from this statement, Jesus launched into his tremendous sermon on the uh, bread of life. What a blessed sermon that is. But then even then, he keeps going, verse 64, move forward to 64. Let's look at the result of that sermon. <clears throat> Maybe I should remember that his sermon was uh, very brief. Like with Shakespeare, brevity is the soul of wit. Okay, well, I'm not there yet. Anyway, verse 64. <clears throat> but there are some, and this is after he gives that sermon, People were, it just freaked them out. They couldn't handle it. It was, it was a tough, if, you were, if you're not a believer, it'd be a tough, tough thing to swallow. They didn't. In verse 64, we continue there. But there are some of you, Jesus said, <clears throat> who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Little, little side point there. Jesus was never fooled by Judas Iscariot, he knew from the very start. He knew from the Old Testament scriptures there was going to be one to betray him. But anyway, verse 65, and he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one has come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. I mean, they left and they stayed left. They were gone. They were gone, and they never came back. So what I mean, disciples? Did they lose their salvation? No, the word disciple means a follower, a learner. And remember, being the big attraction for so many of these people is the fact that he worked so many miracles, and he did them some benefit. Like, you come here, remember he said, you came here because of the food. Free food. Don't do anything. See, they, but they weren't true believers. It was kind of like... Uh, part of the bandwagon gang, right? They rode the bandwagon around until the music stopped, and then they were gone. But now, just we keep reading, and I love this. You get here, I have to, I have to keep going, because this is so great. And Jesus, therefore, turned to the twelve. Do you want to go away also? And Simon Peter, bless his heart, answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And verse 69, and when, and, when, and when we, and it says, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. <clears throat> Peter, great statement. Once again, like in the last time Jesus, he says that, remember, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? And then later on, when Jesus explained that he's got to go, go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, oh, and rebuke him, remember that? And the Lord had to rebuke him back. Well, Peter was there, Peter was half right. Here he's 90% right. And the Lord goes on in verse 70. Jesus answered them, See, well, Peter, let me back up. First, Peter says, and we have believed. Okay, we, speaking for the 12, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Now, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the 12 that was going to betray him. So there, Peter, was, he was a lot closer this time than last time, right? But... Again, that had to be said, 
Now back to John 2.23. Verse 24 says, he knew all men. Verse 25 uh, in verse 25, we're told he himself knew what was in the heart of man. Conclusion, he knew that their faith, not everybody's faith, is genuine. And so now enters Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. As a Pharisee, again, I'm just briefly, a little history of the Pharisees. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting in a way. The Pharisees originated in... The 14, or 14, 1492? No. In, in the 400-year silent period between the Testaments. Okay? Uh, in that period also, by the way, the Septuagint was translated from out of the Hebrew, the Greek from the Hebrew. Now, during this Hellenistic period, the uh, Jews now were starting uh, to lose, the, not only they were losing their language, thus the Septuagint, so many Jews, as each generation went down, uh, and they were schooled and everything. Because remember, when Alexander the Great went sweeping through the area, he deposited the Greek language and the Greek culture all over the place. And even Rome, who followed later, adopted the Greek language and many of the cultures as well. And so in the process, with the Jews being all over the place, they started losing their language. And therefore, if you couldn't speak or read Hebrew, you were out of luck reading the scriptures, so they translated into Septuagint. Now the Pharisees popped up and began their group. Um, I guess this was, it was kind of like, and you know what, they, and then they started off well-intentioned. I mean, to compare that today, like a lot of, I'll say, parachurch organizations start off with good intentions, but then in essence start competing with the church, wrongfully so, and kind of going off on their own, almost like a denomination sometimes. Well, that's what happened to the Pharisees. When they first started, they were committed to preserving the truth of the scriptures. Very noble cause, right? But what happens over the years, as time goes on, a couple hundred years down the road, and by the time we get to Christ, it's been totally perverted. Totally perverted. But how often, how, how often does, um, do we hear Jesus says, you know, you teach for, for doctrine, the traditions of men. And they did that over and over and over again. And I, I marvel and almost kind of smile inside every time. It's almost like Jesus purposely did something on the Sabbath just to, just to rile them. You know? And so then he could explain to them, being the Lord of the Sabbath, the, what, uh, which way the river really flowed. And uh, I, used, I, I just love reading that. Nicodemus, also a ruler of the Jews... And by that we can understand that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which has ruling authority over the people, and and even Rome allowed them to continue that way. And the the Sanhedrin, I think maybe most of you know, consisted of 71 men with the reigning high priest as the head or president, whatever they called him. Now, and we know from verse 10 uh, that he was a premier teacher now verse 2 Nicodemus speaks rabbi title of respect he addressed Jesus basically on an equal level unlike most of the Pharisees that scorned him but give him credit for that 
remember that uh, in Matthew 9, for example, after a demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. This is 9.33, Matthew 9.33-34. We're amazed and we're saying that nothing like this has ever happened, ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Okay? No respect there. So anyway, Nicodemus at least showed some respect. And I find it interesting where he says, um, um, verse 2, Rabbi, we, we, we tells me he was not just speaking for himself. Perhaps he was speaking on the other Pharisees or the other members of the Sanhedrin. We don't know for sure. We're not told. Um, I don't know if he was on a, a, a mission who knows if the Sanhedrin didn't send him in to find, get, see if he can get some information on this guy. We don't know. But he came, and we don't know really what he wanted. I'm, we, we can make some assumptions, but a lot of times assumptions take us further away from the truth than we may want to go. So we don't want to make assumptions as to his motivation. But one thing we do know, whatever information he was after, Jesus was about to give him the information he needed. And that's what's, that's what's important, I think, to our lesson today. And I, and I give him credit for this. Uh, again, no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. That's quite a testimony. That's a good testimony. He was smart enough to pick that up, to know that. That's good. That's good. Now, Jesus responds, verse 3. And I love this. He doesn't throw a question out saying, well, what exactly are you looking for? And, and I'm, it, it almost sounds like he could have, the way it's presented here, it almost sounds like he could have actually just cut the conversation short and just jumped in. It's, we don't know for sure. But Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to, as we move further into this conversation, now we're going to learn and we'll get into it a little bit later, we're going to learn that born again is synonymous with regeneration. And we're going to talk about that as we move further. But that's what being born again is, being regenerated. Now, what is regeneration, you ask? It is the act of God in which he imparts spiritual life into a spiritual dead person. That's regeneration resulting in saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay? That's it. That's regeneration. That's being born again. So knowing that little fact, let's just keep moving. Now, apart from being born again, Jesus said, one cannot see the kingdom of God. That word see isn't talking about visual sight. It's talking about see in the uh, concept of comprehension. You don't see. You don't comprehend what's going on here. You don't get it. You don't get bit it. You know, a little, you know, being from Southern California, a little, you know, no comprendo, right? We got it. And that, he wasn't. He, Nicodemus was no comprendo. He wasn't getting it. He wasn't even close to getting it. He was lost. Born again could also be translated born from above. Right? I mean, that word is used that way. The word, again, anothen, is the same word used in John 3.31, which, which is translated this way in the New American Standard. He who comes from above is above all, and he was of the earth, is from the earth, and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So Jesus coming from above 
anothen. It's the same word. It can be used again or above. And it's kind of up to the reader to determine the context here. Now, fortunately for us, um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, Jesus also used this, this very word in, um, remember when he, when he stood before Pilate? And Pilate said, hey, hey, don't you know I've got the power? I can release you or not release you? And Jesus says to him, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Anothen, same word, John nineteen eleven. So we see this word in a couple of places in John and, a, and other places. It's not used a lot, but I know it's used of things like, um, I think in, in Matthew and Mark, where the, the curtain in the temple at the crucifixion is torn from top to bottom. The word top, anothen, top. To bottom, so it can mean that. <clears throat> so, but anyway, I don't believe that um, it really matters a great deal uh, to our understanding of uh, what it, born again, born from above. It's really not going to hurt our understanding. It really won't of this passage. So it's not that big of a deal. Now, Nicodemus's response in verse four, Nicodemus said to him. How can a man be born again when he's old? He cannot enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born again, can he? Some people think he was being snarky here. You know, it's like, what are you, what are you what, it's kind of like, what kind of Looney Tunes thing are you telling me here? What is this? I don't know where there's or not. I'm not going to judge the guy. By the way, we, we know that eventually he did become a believer, which is good. But uh, his response, though, was based on solely on human reasoning all coming from the flesh, coming from one, shall we say, who cannot see. <laughs> he wasn't getting it, and so his, his whole perspective was coming from the flesh. Jesus is speaking, and that, this happened to Jesus all through his ministry. He's preaching, he's teaching, and people are sitting there trying to interpret it through fleshly understanding and not getting it, not getting it, not getting it. Nicodemus is no different, and he's a teacher, a smart teacher. He, uh, he was viewed as being, being very bright and important. And <clears throat> without saying so, you know what Jesus' answer to both of those questions were? You can't. <laughs> you can't. How can a man be born? You can't. You can't. Let's get down to what's going on here. Verse 5. Or three, let's, three through, yeah, three, five through eight. Jesus answered said, Truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from, and you do not know where it's going. So is every man who is born of the Spirit. Now, he starts off <clears throat> with a term we're familiar with in the Gospel of John. Matter of fact, it's only here in the Gospel of John. The double truly, truly. All right? Truly, truly. When Jesus says truly, truly, he is truly <laughs> speaking of something of grave importance. It, it carries the idea of listen up, listen up. Don't miss what you're about to hear. It's like a call to attention. Don't miss this. Now, 
water, and the Spirit. The key to understanding what this means, I believe, is in verse 10. Because he wasn't getting it. So in verse 10, Jesus answers to him, are you, when, when this whole discussion is said and done, Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Now that tells me something. That tells me the answer to what it means to be born again, i.e. being born of water and the Spirit, is something the teacher should know. Right? You're the teacher and you don't know what I'm saying? Well, let's go find out. Water and the Spirit. Therefore, the answer, I believe, must be in Scripture. And I believe that Scripture is Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Let's look there. Very important passage to the Old Testament and New Testament saints as well. Come to find out over the years that biblical truth is biblical truth no matter where you are in history. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Now the context here, Ezekiel's, again, as so many of the Old Testament prophets are, are looking forward to that time when Israel will actually be redeemed or may I say, regenerated (laughs) as a nation. And that time is still out there. But looking forward, we'll pick it up in verse 25. Then, at that time when they are redeemed, regenerated, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And as a result, I'll just read one more. And you will live in the land that you... that I give to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. And And the context here is, I will be your God, Israel, on a national basis. That means every one of you in that nation will be my people. Not like back then, not like today, but this is still out there in the future. Now, let's back up and look at some of this. First of all, let's look at the action. Who's doing what? And this is important. 25. Then I will sprinkle clean. I. That's God. And you will be clean. I will sprinkle water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart. And further down, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of your stone and give you a heart of flesh. 27, I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you, and cause you to walk in my statue. Now listen to this, don't miss this. I will put my spirit within you and what? And cause you. 
It's the working of God. This is the work of God in all of this. I, 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 I. Where you don't want to see or hear I is when you're asked, what must I do to be saved? Well, I have to do this and I have... No, wrong answer. (laughs) Wrong answer. No. Um, The answer there has to come from the direction. I can do nothing. It's all God. It's all God. It is. And again, you know, this Ezekiel 26 reminds me so much of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. But um, again, for the sake of time, I got in my, I'll start at verse 4. Ephesians, it actually reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, but we don't have time for that. It says, I'll pick up verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love on which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come we might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. The best human work can't accomplish a thing. It can't accomplish a thing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that lest no man should boast. Matter of fact, our salvation is to the glory of God, not our boasting. Okay? For we are his workmanship. Again, I will make you walk in my statutes. We are his workmanship. Same today. Same today. Nothing's changed. You know why? Because God hasn't changed. That's all. For we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, or you can say for the purpose of doing good works, which God prepared before us so that we would walk in them. Plain and simple. You know the best test uh, of, you want to know, gee, how can I, you know, how do I know I'm saved? Well, you live in the life. Are you living the life? There's people that truly are saved but have no assurance. You know why? They're not living the life like they should. But if you look inside and you find out you're never really looking the life, then I think we need to take Paul's advice to the Corinthians and examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Okay? I mean, we, we have to... It, it's good that we all never get self-satisfied. Quite frankly, we all look inside and examine where are we. How we standing? And I'm not touching, talking losing salvation. That's not going to happen because it is an act of God. God doesn't fail. Anyway, back to John 3, 5. The Spirit, verse 5. <clears throat> the Spirit, obvious reference to the Holy Spirit as the agent of regeneration. Look at verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Plain simple. No question. And the water. What about the water? Oh, there's a couple of thoughts on that. Um, I believe the water in this passage is, is symbolic of the cleansing that takes place. Now, some think, and these are good godly people, think it's the embonic fluid of the, of the babies in water, and you're born, born of water, and of the Spirit, being born again. The only thing with that is, well, if you weren't born in the first place, who are you? <laughs> Where are you? If you weren't born, 
You don't exist. So I don't think it means that. I think it's more in line with what was said in uh, being born of water, being cleansed and regenerated through the whole regeneration process of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what it is. And to me, that's in line, too, with what Nicodemus would know or should have known, could have known, right, but didn't. And um, so anyway, again, we don't need to belabor it. But like I said, there's good godly people that think otherwise. And it's not, it's not a crime to think that. This is America. It's okay to be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Now, again, we look at this. This obvious, Jesus in, in, uh, in John 6, 63 say, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And I love this. One of, one of these verses that, man, mark this one down and don't lose this one. Titus 3, 5. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. There again, if you're not born of water and the Spirit, the washing, the regeneration, the renewing of the Spirit, if, you, if that hasn't happened, you haven't been born again. It's that simple. It's that simple. And that's what being born again is. Unless one is born of water and Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. He cannot enter same idea as cannot see, you cannot comprehend, you're never going to get it. Because of all the mention of the kingdom in our Lord's answer, I think that probably Nicodemus probably has some questions about him and, and, and maybe Jesus' relationship to the kingdom. You know, he was asked often, often, are you the Messiah? If so, why don't you tell us? Are you a prophet? Are you, what? Remember, he asked the disciples, remember all the rumors were going around? They said, well, who do you, you know, who do they say I am, right? And he said, well, maybe John the Baptist or Elijah, Elijah, one of the prophets, you know? So, yeah, there was a lot floating around out there uh, about who he was. So maybe, you know, it could have been one of those kind of questions. But we need to, we need to, <clears throat> we need to have more we have no more to do with, again, about being born again. We have no more to do with being born again or from above than we had the first being born in the human, as humans. How much did you, how, how were you involved in being born? You, it just happened to you. <laughs> you were born. One day, hey, there you are, you know, you're born. Um, and it's the same thing with the being born again or born from above. It happens to you, and as we've seen so far, it's a work of God, specifically the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And then we move down, verse 7 and 8, where he says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is, who is born of the Spirit. Verse 7, don't marvel. I mean, which speaks of he's, a, he's just totally astonished, you know. His jaw, you know, his chin was down on his chest. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't get it. And when Jesus says to him there in verse 7, you must be born again. This is not a command to do something, but what this is is a strong statement of fact. There's, it's not optional. For an individual to enter or see the kingdom of heaven, one must be born again. Period. And again, how, does, how is one born again? Verse 8, 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind, uh, the wind, well, the wind is not seen, can't be controlled, no matter what they tell us today. We can only see the effects of it. If the same is true for being born again. We don't see it happen. We don't cause it to happen. But remember Ephesians 2.10, but we can see the result of it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We can see the result. We can see the result. The result of that, the good works, faith, eyes are open. Remember, um, when you were dead, we were dead, dead, dead. We had to be made alive, quickened as the King James put it. You know. But again, verse 9 through 12, Nicodemus uh, still doesn't get it. Look at verse 9. And this is the last we're going to hear from Nicodemus. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? It's almost, you, can almost, you can almost see him throwing up his hands. You know, all this discussion of the Holy Spirit. And again, in light of things like Nicod- Nicodemus, and, um, <clears throat> Ezekiel. And you go back to Jeremiah 31, 31, the, the new covenant. And it just on through there. Like These are things that these folks were reading and teaching in the synagogues. And, but like so much, the unbelievers, you know, they just, it, no comprehension, no comprehension. They weren't getting it. So Jesus now is going to confront his unbelief. In verse 10, as a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? His unbelief as the teacher, Jesus referred to him, are you the teacher? Not just a, but the teacher. So he gives him credit for being the teacher. I think it exemplifies the spiritual bankruptcy of the nation at that point in time. If their leaders, if the leader couldn't comprehend what Jesus was presenting in a way that, hey, you're, you should know this. You, you should know this, the teacher. You should know this. And you don't. Just imagine what some of the dumber teachers were teaching. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> you know, um, that's why, you know, maybe that's why God said, I mean, I'm going to try these fishermen out. These guys just aren't getting it done. No, but seriously, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And so Jesus now, in verses 11 and 12, he's going to press the point. How's he start on 11? Truly, truly. Again, truly, truly, you better listen up, listen up, listen up. Pay attention. Don't let this one go by. I mean, he said it again. And these statements are made when extremely important points are being put across. And, you know, he said truly, truly back in verse 3 when he started the conversation. Now in the middle of the conversation, he's saying it again. Listen up. Pay attention. We speak. All right? Now the we, Jesus is obviously speaking on behalf of himself and someone else. A lot of theories out there. Some say, well, it's we, Jesus and John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is out there saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Could be. Uh, Jesus and the Father. You know, remember the Father? This is my beloved Son at the baptism. Could, could be. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 5 through 8. Um, Jesus, Moses, and the prophets. Go back to the scriptures that Nicodemus wasn't getting. <laughs> uh, or Jesus and his disciples, as young as they were. Hey, they weren't perfect. They had a better handle than Nicodemus did. 
And then perhaps some say Jesus and all the aforementioned people. We don't know, but we know he was speaking on behalf of others. And he responds in verse 11, you, which is interesting, you is in the plural. You is in the plural. And um, you, plural, aren't getting it. So when Nicodemus comes, you know, we know that you are from God because no one can do the works you do. We. So Nicodemus was speaking on behalf of somebody else. So back to those people that Nicodemus was speaking for, Jesus says, you people don't get it. You people. Verse 11, he says, Truly I say to you, plural, we speak that which we know and and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive or accept our witness or testimony. You're not accepting what we're telling you. Verse 12, he goes on. Again, he's pressing the point. If I told you earthly things that you you would... uh, And you would not, and you and you do not believe. How uh, you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one, and no one has ascended into heaven, and but him who has descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. I'm going to stop for a moment right there. Get through verse 12. The earthly things refers, I believe, to the analogy of human birth. You don't get the human. You don't get the uh, um, the analogy there by being born again or born from above. Um, and then the. Uh, how should I tell you heavenly things? I think it refers to the theological, spiritual truths that he just uh, spoke of about the Holy, concerning the Holy Spirit. So he, he's not getting any of this stuff. So verse 13, he moves on, and now he's going to stress the fact that you must believe. You must believe. You know, that's the one, that's the one and only thing of man's response is told in the Scriptures, that what you must do to be saved? Believe. <laughs> believe. But theologically, we know that that ability to believe comes from regeneration, right? If the regeneration wasn't there, the belief wasn't there. But he says, believe, 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 believe. Verse 13 to 15. And none, and no one who has ascended to heaven, but he who had descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. Now, the Son of Man, messianic term, we're going to get into that in a little bit, that uh, it's a messianic term that also declares his deity, by the way. The title comes from uh, Daniel, chapter 7. We'll, we'll look there in a moment. Now, Jesus, the Son of Man, descended from heaven, and Jesus will continue to preach that fact. He says, the Son of Heaven, for I have come down from heaven, John 6, 38. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, John 6, 51. I proceed forth and have come from God, 8, 42. And then in John 16, 27, 28, I came forth from the Father. Okay, just over and over and over again. Now, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And the comparison he makes here is that serpent in the wilderness. As Moses, verse 14, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now back there, do you remember the story of the, the bronze serpent that was lifted up before the people? I mean, they, got, they got snake bit, and they were snake bit in more ways than one. But anyway, they were sinning again, and snakes came out there and bit them. And so the Lord told Moses, go ahead, put this bronze serpent up into the air. 
And those who get bit by the serpent, look at that bronze serpent, and you, the poison won't kill you. Okay? You'll be spared. You'll be saved physically. Now, again, that bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness is a type of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's many types and symbols that point to Jesus all over the Old Testament. This is one of them. This is one of them. Now, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Let's look at John 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 23 to 34. And Jesus answered him and said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, a, a live green seed isn't going to do anything. It's got to dry out and die, right? For he who loves his life loses it. And there's, here's a, a speaking to his disciples. In essence, he's saying, like in other passages, take up your cross and follow me. Let's move forward for the sake of time. Verse 27, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There, glorify thy name. There came, therefore, a voice out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Speaking of what's happened and what will happen on the cross. The multitude, therefore, who stood by heard it, said, we were saying, it's, it, it thundered. Others were saying, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus Andrew said to them, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon the world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And, verse 32, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Verse 33, but he was saying this to indicate what kind of death by which he was to die. And you got to hear this because this shows the unbelief, I think, of, Nick, of a lot of people back then. Jesus therefore said to them for a little while longer, oh, excuse me, the multitude, verse 34, answered and said, we have heard out, out of the law, we have heard, listen to that, from probably this great teacher, we have heard out of the law <clears throat> that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? And then, he, then they answer, who is this Son of Man? Or the attitude is, what kind of Son of Man is this? Weren't the disciples fooled the same Everybody, they were, they were taught this, that when Messiah comes, everything's going to be great, man. We're going to knock off the Romans. We're going to be, we'll be the kingpins of the earth. They, they only got part of the story. Now let's look at the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7. Look at this, Daniel 7. We've, I know we've seen this before a couple of Sundays ago, but it's important. Don't miss this. It is so important. You know, so many times we get into a book, like say Daniel, you read to a part, oh, I really like that, and you stop. Well, sometimes you've got to keep reading. <laughs> the context of any message is in the totality of the book you're in, right? So, John 7, 13, and, or John, Daniel 7, 13, and 14 says this. 
I kept looking in night vision. Behold, the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And that is 100% true. And that's but. That's not all that is taught about the Son of Man, the Messiah. If they'd have just kept going in Daniel, look at Daniel chapter 9. In this very important prophecy about the 70 weeks, I'm definitely not going to get into that now. Because, um, we would be here till Easter. Anyway, but the issue here is, so then after the 62 weeks, the, verse 26, the Messiah will be cut off. You know what that means? Executed. Cut off. Cut off. And have nothing. Cut off and have nothing. And then we keep this, the other part takes too long to explain. You folks that are in Sunday school know these things, so we, we can go on. The rest of you? <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm going to. No. <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> but we'll go on. But here it is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. You know, back to John 3.15. See, they just didn't keep reading. Along with that, I mean, along of other things like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, it was no secret what was going to happen. And, and they viewed those, that Psalm 22 and, and, and Isaiah 53, they viewed them as Messianic Psalms. They still missed it. <laughs> you know, go figure. Go figure. Way back then they did anyway. Um, interesting note. As soon as Jesus came on the earth, and so much of the new, so many of the New Testament writers quote out of uh, Isaiah fifty-three that you know the Jews have shifted away from that, and they allegorize that now. That, that's sad, isn't it? Sad testimony. Well, John three fifteen. We, we need to. We'll, we'll get the we'll get the car running now. That. And I'm for, let me start at verse 14, set that context. And, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Verse 15, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. We'll be celebrating this fact, that Jesus, through his death, gave us life. Okay, gave us life. That's what we memorialize every time we do that. And then here, the, uh, <clears throat> the motivation behind the whole thing is in, in that very famous chapter 16, but I'm going to include 17 with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever or whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. And how is that accomplished? By when he's lifted up. That's how it is. It all goes together here. We, we quote John 3.16, and it kind of gets lost in a vacuum sometimes. Man, put the other stuff. There's some really powerful stuff here that needs to go with it to fully understand. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Gave him his only begotten Son for what? To be lifted up. To die. That to deny that 
is to deny salvation. There's so much to this story. There's so much to this. And we just keep going. But you know that, so we're going to keep going. As I pray you do. His motivation, 16 and 17, why whoever believes, again, not limited to Jews, his only begotten son, monogenes, genesis, does not refer to Jesus' origin, but describes his uniqueness as the one and only of his kind, the one and only son of God. He's a unique individual. He is the eternal word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's John's theme throughout this whole book. Okay? And verse 17 says, but that the world should be saved through him. Again, Jesus came to die to pay the price for sin. I mean, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, the little guy up in the tree? In Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And in the process of that, came to pay the price for the sins that he would save. See, that's, that's extremely important. And we know verse 18 to 21, and we'll close quickly with this. We're actually going to make it. He who, laugh over there, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For, every, for everyone who does not does evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifest. And don't miss this last last little phrase. May be manifested as having been wrought in God. See that? Having been wrought in God. I will... Sprinkle your heart. I will give you a new heart. See that? The Son of Man, um, <clears throat> which is born of the, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's a work of God. And we as his people of all should be most thankful for that. And I'll tell you, again, it just, uh, again, go back in closing for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of result of works, so that no one should boast. For he, <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning, Lord, those of us that you have shown your grace upon us and opened our eyes to your truth we thank you so much lord we we just pray that as your people that that we would indeed live up to the calling with which you have called us and god may we may we go out there and be your messengers be your soldiers be your ambassadors and again lord we just thank you so much in jesus name amen